Warning, you are about to listen to the greatest radio show ever. And due to contractual obligations and to shield our airwaves and corporate licensees from any semblance of liability, responsibility, and gullibility, we must tell you the views represented on this show are not necessarily those of this station or its management. This radio show contains differing points of view on current political topics, and due to the nature of its contents, it should be heard by everyone. Thank you for listening. Now live from the Devil Radio Studios in Madison, Wisconsin, where the political party is just beginning, welcome to the Devil's Advocate Show. Friends proving it's never personal, only politics. Please allow me to introduce myself. Here is your host, Mike Crute. Welcome to the Devil's Advocate Radio Show, the Hump Day Edition. How you doing, Dominic? I'm fantastic, Rudy. Happy hump day to you, Evan. Working the board and the phones. Of course, our fair audience halfway through, baby. Election next week, Tuesday. I'm super stoked. Well, here's my thought for this wonderful Wednesday edition. Democracy is dead. At least here in the great state of Wisconsin. We got a fine guest coming at 430. We will have the returning champ, Dan Kaufman, and um, his latest at the New Yorker, the high stakes election in the Midwest democracy desert. Not dessert, as you pointed out to me. <laughs> Not dessert. I did say. Sounds was, so much better with dessert. Know, a little hungry. I skipped a major <laughs> meal last night. Just sort of scrounged, as you say. For <laughs> yeah, there's always some food in the night. fridge, man. So anyways, um, not a dessert. It's a democracy desert here in the state of Wisconsin. We'll tell you what he means in just a minute. And also, of course, we reference the Wisconsin Supreme Court election, Dom, that will happen next Tuesday. And this is the big one. This is the big enchilada. Not the one they're going to be eating down at the uh, Deer District. We'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> but uh, Jesse Apoyan, Jesse OPP Apoyan uh, at the Cap Times, does a pretty comprehensive work about the Supreme Court race, as she describes it, and I'm where I think we should start today. The Wisconsin Supreme Court race is 174 years in the making. Yes, not a minute too soon. Uh, from Jesse Appoint's piece, when Governor Nelson Dewey signed a law banning abortion on, and it's almost been 174 years to the day, Dom, March 31st, 1849, Women and people of color couldn't vote. Slavery was legal, and Wisconsin had been a state for less than a year. Nearly 174 years to the day later, a statewide election could determine whether that law, which makes no exceptions for cases of rape, incest, or the health of the mother, can be enforced today. Wisconsin's April 4th state Supreme Court election pits liberal Milwaukee County Judge Janet Protasiewicz against conservative, MAGA-supporting, uh, wanker-appointed former state Supreme Court Justice Daniel Kelly. A protosewitz win would give liberal justices a majority in the court for the first time in, what, like 15 years? Since 2008. Such an ideological shift would open the doors to legal challenges on any numbers of decisions from union rights to this is one of my near and dear, Dom, redistricting. 
But much as it was in November of 2022, the future of abortion access in the state is at the forefront of this campaign. Most statewide Democratic candidates in Wisconsin found success in elevating abortion as a campaign issue in the 22 midterm elections, five months after the U.S. Supreme Court issued its decision in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization, the ruling ended the constitutional right to terminate a pregnancy and activated Wisconsin's abortion ban, which had been unenforceable under the court's 1973 Roe v. Wade decision. And Dom, a little more than nine months after the Dobbs decision, political observers throughout the country are watching the Badger State, watching Wisconsin for a number of reasons, chief amongst them to see whether abortion will still push voters to the polls. I can tell you, early returns are in. It's pushing voters to the polls. But we'll see. April 4th still coming. And whether the issue will continue to benefit candidates who support abortion rights. No, I don't think women have forgotten their loss of freedom. But I read on. Days after the Dobbs ruling, Governor Tony Evers and Attorney General Josh Call, both Democrats, filed a lawsuit arguing that a series of abortion restrictions passed by Republicans over the last several decades supersede the 1849 ban. And while abortion was legal in Wisconsin, elected officials implemented a series of laws limiting access to it. In 1996, then-Republican Governor Tommy Thompson required women seeking abortions to participate in a counseling appointment, followed by a 24-hour waiting period. In 2012, Republican then-Governor Scotty Wanker signed a law banning telemedicine abortions, a practice by which women take the required doses of a medication abortion at home with support of a doctor by webcam, and implemented additional measures designed to ensure women seeking abortions were not coerced. The law required the pills for a medication abortion to be given to a woman by the same doctor she saw for her state-mandated counseling appointment. I mean, come on. I know, typical wanker. Uh, the following year, Walker signed a bill requiring women to undergo an ultrasound before having an abortion. Lots of ways to tell women what they can do with their bodies, Tom. More from the article. Women were read a script describing what was on the screen and given the option of viewing it. The same law also required uh, included a requirement, later blocked by the U.S. Supreme Court, that abortion providers have admitting privileges at a hospital near their clinic. Two years later, Walker signed a bill banning abortions 20 weeks after probable for, uh, fertilization. If Call and Ever succeed again with this lawsuit, the state will return to all of those pre-Dobbs policies, Dom. Cody Jussiepoyan quotes A.G. Call, The Wisconsin statutes contain two sets of criminal laws, the pre-Roe ban from 1849 and the laws enacted in the decades after Roe, that directly conflict with each other uh, with, with each other if both are applied to abortion. In these circumstances, it is well settled that the older law cannot be enforced, Call argued, in the legal challenge. Either it is lawful to provide a pre-viability abortion or it is not. Either it is lawful to provide an abortion to preserve the mother's health, or it is not. These are exactly the circumstances where courts hold that the older law may not be enforced, particularly when that law imposes criminal sanctions, Call continued. Wisconsin abortion providers cannot be held to two sets of diametrically opposed laws, and the Wisconsin people deserve clarity. 
Apoyan goes on to write, plaintiff's attorneys rejected that claim, writing that if the abortion ban conflicted with later enactments or was strictly construed to do so, the correct judicial fix, quote unquote, would not be a sweeping declaration that the statute is entirely unenforceable as applied to all abortions. Uh, they go on in their case. In cases where any of Wisconsin's statutory provisions conflict, courts do not simply void one or more of them. Instead, they apply the familiar rule of statutory construction in Wisconsin, where two statutes relate to the same subject matter that the specific statute controls over the general statute. The more specific statute would thus govern abortions performed after viability, and the more general, the 1849 ban, would govern all other abortions. Uh, competing philosophies, as a point goes on in the Cap Times. The winner of the April 4th court race, who will fill the seat being vacated by retiring conservative justice uh, Patience Rogensack, who endorsed Kelly on Tuesday after her daughter endorsed Protosewitz, <laughs> which is amazing, uh, is all but certain to play a role in the case's ultimate resolution, as it is expected to make its way from the Dane County Circuit Court to the state's high court. In November, the last time the Marquette University Law School polled on the question, 33% of Wisconsin voters said they supported the decision to overturn Roe, while 55% opposed it. Also in November, 84% of voters said abortion should be legal in the case of rape or incest, while 10% said it should not be. Uh, in an August Marquette poll, 65% of voters said abortion should be legal in all or most cases, while 30% said it should be illegal in all or most cases. No public polling has been conducted on the Wisconsin Supreme Court race, and internal polls show a tight competition. More than a half a year past the most recent statewide polling on it, the question heading into April 4th is whether abortion access will once again be a salient election issue. Protosewitz has been vocal about her personal views, including her support for abortion rights. As she has promised, her judicial opinions would be directed, I'm sorry, dictated by the law, not her personal values, while Kelly has accused her of making the race more about politics than the judiciary. Kelly has the backing of several prominent anti-abortion groups, but has said those endorsements are based on his judicial philosophy, not any commitment to rule a particular way. But his race judicial philosophy and his association with these anti-abortion groups seemingly are a tell that he <laughs> would... Go ahead, Don. I'm if sorry. I was going to guess, uh, Jesse goes down to write, the race has attracted national attention, is on track to more than double the previous record of the most expensive judicial race in American history with spending totaling $30 million and counting. I believe that was higher after we talked to Matt Rothschild yesterday. Well, if you take the outside spending into account, it's enormous. It's way more than 30 but please continue, Don. A former prosecutor, Pro Sayward 60, was first elected to serve as a judge in Milwaukee County in April of 2014. Kelly, 58, was appointed to the state Supreme Court by former Governor Walker in 2016 to fill a seat vacated by Prosser's retirement. Kelly campaigned to serve for a full term in 2020, but was defeated by Liberal Justice Jill Karofsky. Defeated? He got his ass handed to him by 163,000 votes, Don, but please continue. But who's keeping track? He previously worked as an attorney representing corporate and political clients, including, in recent years, the Republican Party of Wisconsin and the Republican National Committee. Asked to describe her judicial philosophy, Protosewitz said it is, it is that everybody gets treated fairly and there's no thumb on the scale one way or the other. Kelly described his philosophy as constitutional conservatism, meaning that he uses the existing law to decide the cases that come before the court and nothing else. Unless he feels the need to overturn the prior decisions, because that's not how his team wants the ruling to come out. And I guess, you know, when you think about it, you know, 
Kelly's never won an election, right? No, not no. that I can tell. No, he was uh, he was an attorney. Then he was appointed. Then he lost an election, and then he's been cashing checks from the RNC and, and plotting coups against Party. the government. Yes. Well, I mean, you got to get paid, man. You know, someone's got to do it. They pay for my advice. Yes, absolutely. Send those fraudulent faked electors in. What's the worst that could happen? I actually think Kelly's judicial philosophy is everybody gets treated fairly, but the Republicans get treated just a little more fairly. You know what I mean? A little more fairly? (laughs) Some are a little more fairly treated than others. Hmm. Come back with us. We are the Devil's Advocates Radio Show. We'll take some of your calls. Got a fine guest, Dan Kaufman. His point, I believe, democracy dead in the state of Wisconsin. The only reason we got this problem, the abortion problem, is because we also got a gerrymandering problem. We'll talk about it next. And oh yeah, a burrito eating contest. I think I can win. Well, who says life is fair? Where is that written? When they go low... We get high. The Devil's Advocates. And we are back from the 420 break. Thank you for listening to the Devil's Advocates radio show. Make sure you stick around. Dan Kaufman wrote a piece in The New Yorker. He's an author. He's talking about Wisconsin, so he's coming on to tell us all about it. My takeaway, democracy in Wisconsin is dead. It's dead. Effectively, it's dead. We don't have representation representative governance in the state of Wisconsin. That's been dead since Scott Walker and the Republican-led legislature gerrymandered the maps in 2011. Now, more than a decade later, we've got all new cooked books that are even worse than the last time. So when we look at the will of Wisconsinites, when we see our friend Jesse Appoint laying out the math, the polling, the over number, uh, overwhelming number of us think women should have some control of their own bodies, certainly in the cases of rape or incest. But that's not the law here. That's not the will of Wisconsinites, but Republicans that control the state legislature through cooked books, through a redistricting process called gerrymandering. Well, we don't have representative democracy, Tom. Because effectively, they got to pick their voters. They got to decide that they get invincibility effectively through incumbency. If I won an election once and then I get to pick who votes for me, which districts, I get to capture a hugely partisan swath of people that are overwhelmingly going to be supportive of my policies, even if they're bad. Because I can tell you, most of my Republican friends... They don't like the cookbooks either. Robin Voss, King Voss, he's not being representative of the constituents of the state of Wisconsin other than perhaps the mega donors a long time ago. Do you think the people in his district wanted to be imminent domained out of the way for Foxconn? I mean, they jammed that down our throat. No, we're going to give a foreign corporation billions of dollars. For these $13 an hour well-paying jobs. That was the promise from day one. I was sitting in the front row of the press conference when King Voss was telling us what well-paying jobs were. 13 bucks an hour. Well, of course, they never culminated in anything. But there's no consequence. Because they baked the cake. They cooked the books. 
They gerrymandered. They stacked the deck to the point. It doesn't matter how pissed off their constituents get. They never lose. I mean, hell, Robin Voss couldn't lose the primary when the former president, Donald Trump, came to his district and endorsed another guy, and he still won. Curtis, some of the uh, pieces in the New Yorker that Dan Kaufman writes I want to share with the audience. Then we'll get to your calls, 844-967-2789, talking about the gerrymandering and the importance of this Wisconsin Supreme Court election. Uh, as Dan writes, the outcome could reshape an institution that has helped transform Wisconsin into what journalist David Daly calls a democracy desert, a place where voters stand little chance of affecting political change. In its most recent biannual report, the Electoral Integrity Project, which measures democratic attributes of electoral systems, gave Wisconsin's district maps 23 points out of 100, the worst rating of any state in the country. The score is on par with that of the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Congratulations, Wisconsin Republicans. We are literally a banana republic. Democracy is already dead. And let's not forget, when they lost the top of the ticket, when Republicans, affected, when Scott Walker got defeated by Tony Evers in 2018, what'd they do immediately? Everything they could to hamstring the Democratic governor, the Democratic attorney general, right? The lame duck. Yes. Yep. And Scott Walker had no qualms in a fascistic fashion signing off on all that crap. So when we see something like January 6th, this is just more Bad More of the same. And, and let's remember, Curdy, uh, and, and Kaufman brings this up in The New Yorker as well. In 2020, the Wisconsin Supreme Court overruled two lower court opinions that said the lame duck changes were unconstitutional. So, yeah, it matters. It matters a lot. 844-967-2789. Wisco Paul, you're up. Welcome, sir. What do you got for us? Hey, good afternoon, Devils. Thanks for bringing this topic up. It's so, so important. I, for one, am sick of living in a um, non-democracy state. And it's very important people turn out April 4th and vote for Judge Janet. I mess up her last name. Protestant. For nothing else. Uh, thank you, Cootie. They even got an ad about that. And I'll, I'm sure I'd mess it up. But um, <laughs> fair, maps is, fair Maps is a big, big deal. And uh, we've, we've lost Medicaid money because of this. And uh, um, legalized marijuana, for goodness sakes, people. You guys had a program earlier uh, in the month about how much money we've lost to Illinois just for legalized marijuana. And then the, and then Robin Voss is worried about a little bit of money for uh, American Family Park down there. It's just, uh, it's just an amazing thing. And I have and know a lot of people that are sick and tired of it myself. And uh, I hope for... Hopefully, people will turn out. So, hey, thanks for bringing these topics out up because uh, that's why I always say you guys got the greatest show ever. Thanks, boys. Thank you. Thanks, Wisco. Wisco. Appreciate it, man. And this is what we get, you know, when we're, when we celebrate twenty percent of Wisconsin eligible voters turning out in this in the most recent primary. Twenty percent, like, oh my God, is blowing through records, and it is still pitiful. If we had eighty percent, we would not be having these discussions. Period. Well, we'll have this discussion for a few more days because the election is April 4th. And for the first time in over a decade, we have the right 
and the ability to restore democracy in our great state in a real fashion. And it's not probably the gerrymandered maps that will carry us to democracy. It's going to be Dobbs. It's going to be anti-abortion. That's going to turn out the voters. I know in my city, Madison, Wisconsin, we are ready. And we're going to overvote. Dane County's turning out for Janet Protosiewicz. I feel quite confident. You stick around. Dan Kaufman, he's turning out right here. His latest in the New Yorker. We're talking about the great state of Wisconsin, a Supreme Court race for the soul of our state and the restoration of democracy, perhaps. Come back. It's an important show. You better be listening. This is Banana Republic crap. I am tired. I am salty. The big and tall of political talk. The Devil's Advocates. Welcome back to the Devil's Advocates Radio Show, the Wednesday edition. Dom, we welcome back a fine guest. He is Dan Kaufman and his latest from the New Yorker a high-stakes election in the Midwest democracy desert, the race for control of Wisconsin Supreme Court could change the course of the entire country. I sure as hell hope so. Dan <laughs> Kaufman, welcome back to the Devil's Advocates. Hey, Dan. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot for having me. Dan, obviously, we've got a very important race, and, you know, we joke all the time. We do politics. We're junkies. We tell people, most important race of the year of your lifetime. I've never seen... A spring election with so much importance is the one on the, the ballot here on, on April 4th in Wisconsin. I mean, literally, I joked, the, the soul of the Supreme Court in the balance. But it truly, Dan, is in the balance here in Wisconsin. Uh, you've obviously written a piece. You spent a lot of time talking to the electorate. Do people sense that when you talk to them, Dan? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, you know, it's funny because I joke that you know, I'm always pitching these articles like to my editors, this is the most important race, the governor's race or the Senate race. But this this truly uh, feels monumental. And I think it goes back to like the history of the past 12 years. And when, you know, in the article, I kind of detail some of I think the court is maybe an underappreciated sort of pillar of um, the conservative infrastructure that's been um you know, dominant in the state since Walker's election. And so there's a lot that it did to tip things in that direction, and particularly after 2018 when Tony Evers won the governor's race. But as far as the electorate, yeah, I think on both sides, they there's a sense that um, for progressives, I think there's a hope that they might finally free themselves from minority rule. And for Republicans, I think there's a sense of desperation growing because the court, there's an awareness that the court is so important to virtually everything. Because when you look at it and you look at polling around so many issues, abortion or Medicaid expansion and and so on, you know, the state is really out of step with the electorate and what it wants. Um, And I think, you know, the court is a big reason for that, you know, whether it's the ease of voting and election, um, election, uh, you know, the election was almost thrown out in 2020. It came within one vote of doing so. And so 
I, I think there's just a, a massive sense that this particular election is not only important for the moment, but also particularly around the gerrymandering issue, there's like kind of 12 years of grievances on the progressive side tied up in the court's role. So I think it's, the stakes couldn't be any higher. Dan, I've, I've often thought that this this Wisconsin Supreme Court has been corrupted to partisan ends. And, you know, the example is most of the outcomes, when you look at the litigation, they've been a rubber stamp for the, the malfeasance of the Walker administration and, and the legislative pieces that have come down the pike uh, pretty much right through 2018. Now, Dan, there's perhaps, you know, the judicial independent that is Brian Hagedorn, but for the last decade or longer here in the state of Wisconsin, every court case that hit to the Wisconsin Supreme Court, we knew was going to come down 4-3 or 5-2 on a partisan basis, always for the benefit of Republicans. And as you pointed out, sir, never seemingly to the will of Wisconsin's voters, excluding a few maybe mega donors to the Republican Party. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And I think that's one of the criticisms that has been made. It seems very outcome-oriented, the decisions of the court, you know. Um, and, you know, uh, it, it seems like there's always a rationale given to um, to justify it. And, of course, you know, there's there's something that was said by William Brennan about originalism, which is the idea that, you know, you have to look at the original intent of the Constitution, and it has a close cousin called textualism, um, which is the idea that you can just look at the text of these documents and, and so on and, and glean the true meaning, which is totally, you know, absurd because everybody's going to have a different, even on the right, they have different interpretations. Um, and what William Brennan said was he described it as arrogance cloaked as humility, the idea that, oh, we're just this judicial modesty, that, you know, we, we're just, looking at the document itself. And that, that's a real theme of Daniel Kelly's campaign, you know, and obviously he's been very tied to to right-wing donors and funders for his career. And he comes out of the Pat Robertson Law School. He, he's definitely situated <laughs> himself firmly on the right. But, you know, there's there's a, a kind of, and, and I kept thinking of that quote by Brennan, um, because there's this sort of sense that he's just being modest and, and he described himself as the most boring judge ever and so on. And But, you know, there there's no question. He said as much that, you know, Rebecca Bradley is his closest ideological, you know, uh, cohort. And, you know, and she's somebody that compared the 2020 Wisconsin election to elections held in Syria and under Bashar al-Assad and so on. So it's really a, a quite a radical court. And I think also you touched on something like the court had a very distinguished history going back into the 19th century. It was the only court to declare the Fugitive Slave Act unconstitutional. It also kind of paved the way for regulation of corporations. There's a famous case around a law called Potter's Law when they were um, trying to regulate the railroads, which basically owned the Wisconsin state legislature. So it has the story history that continued. Shirley Abramson was a very well-regarded. Uh, she was a shortlisted for the U.S. Supreme Court, um, a jurist that only, re, you know, retired in 2015, I think. And, you know, it had this story history. And as I mentioned in the piece, you know, in 2003, when Patience Rogensack ran 
there was $27,000 of outside spending. Now there's going to be $40 million. So it's obviously worth a lot of money to both sides. And I think, you know, it's, it's just a reflection of how politicized everything is. But it's been going that way for quite some time. And, and certainly after Act 10, you could see the division on the court and how the court was a central player in the kind of trying to, the effort to kind of take over the state and uproot its progressive traditions, first by attacking the labor movement. But gerrymandering was like, I would say, the equally consequential decision from that period. Folks, you are listening to The Devil's Advocates Radio Show. we got a fine guest. He is author and journalist Dan Kaufman. His most recent piece at The New Yorker, a high-stakes election in the Midwest democracy desert. He's talking about the great state of Wisconsin, the Supreme Court race here. Well, Dan, here's my question. Uh, You touched upon gerrymandering. That's a near and dear issue for the panel here. And I think it's a bipartisan issue. We've seen in, in localized referendums, the overwhelming number of people don't want to be gerrymandered into districts where their electeds get to pick their voters. And of course, we know about abortion, uh, the Dobbs decision, very galvanizing for the Democratic side. And I would say also motivating for the anti-abortion side as well, Dan, is you went out, you met Wisconsin voters in the, the run up to this key election. Which issue do you think is driving the electorate? If you had to pick one, is there a hamburger A or a hamburger B between gerrymandering and the abortion issue that's driving the electorate towards the polls? I think both of those are are really big. I couldn't distinguish. And I think more than that, it's even, there's other issues that I didn't touch upon that much just for space reasons. But like there was a gentleman named Fred Crane who stayed on at the Department of Natural Resources past the, uh, his term ending. He was appointed by Scott Walker. He had a really consequential role in the regulation of what's called PFAS, uh, forever chemicals, which are really a problem throughout the state. But he stayed on simply to preserve the conservative majority on that board, which has real policy implications. And I think it's, it's like what I sense, and I feel that perhaps the progressive side is more motivated um, it sense that the state's tradition of fair, good government, that uh, which was largely bipartisan for a long time. I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and I remember that things like voting were encouraged, civic participation, and so on, by both sides. And I think that that sense of things like Fred Crane staying on, uh, it, it's really, and the court enabling this idea that you could just ignore the end of your term and the, the legislature didn't have to bother holding hearings on Governor Eves' replacement. You know, those kinds of things, I think there's a fatigue and an anger that's pent up. And I think you've seen it. You know, Democrats uh, have won 14 of the past 17 statewide elections. Um, and I think that that is a reflection of this anger that it's not under majority rule. The state doesn't really live in a democracy right now and you can see that you know i I mentioned this harvard study which compared democratic attributes of wisconsin to like the democratic republic of congo it's really an extreme version of minority rule which is you know part of the american system for a long time but it's so extreme and so out of character for wisconsin that they would be say governed by a law from 1849 
about abortion when two-thirds of the state's citizens want abortion to be legal in all or most cases. It's, it's a disconnect, and I think that is what's driving progressives to these statewide victories. Well, we'll see, though. You know, I mean, I think on the other side, Republicans and conservatives are worried because their hold is slipping, and this would be a major, major event. So, Dan, you talk about you know what's been going on here in the state of Wisconsin for the past 12 years. And from my recollection, for the past 12 years, Crudy and I have been doing a radio show. And so I've been paying more attention in the last 12 years than I ever did before that. And it <laughs> seems to me, right. not only do we have a democracy desert here, but the, the, the gerrymanders effect uh is to continually radicalize those on the right because if you don't if if you're in a spot and you don't do what what the right wants you to they will primary you from the right because there's no way a dem is going to get into a packed and cracked district so that that has the effect of pulling uh the right wing further right in in your piece at the new yorker uh dan you go back and you kind of go over some of the different histories of, of of wisconsin i want perhaps you to shed some light on why you think it's important to mention the lead paint guy and the quid pro quo and and some of these issues that went on years ago when i read the pieces like oh yeah i forgot about that oh yeah i forgot about that because <laughs> it seems continual and it seems to be getting worse uh what has happened to bring us to this point uh historically dan in the last two and a half minutes yeah well i think that was a really important case because it essentially um you know, sort of permitted, retroactively legalized, but had been illegal. And importantly, it kind of opened the floodgates for a wave of dark money to really dominate the state's politics. And similarly, that same year, the legislature gutted the, the um, campaign contributions limit. So you can now donate $20,000 to a, to a Wisconsin Supreme Court justice which is six times more than you can donate to a candidate for uh, U.S. president. So I think that the money is really key. And I think what I wanted to show about that particular case was just the length that the court would go to tilt uh, towards one side. For example, in that case, they required the prosecutors to destroy all the evidence that they had gathered, which is really unprecedented. And fortunately, somebody leaked uh, a partial set of those documents to The Guardian. And what it showed was a really deep and profound and troubling coordination between these dark money groups and politicians like Scott Walker and his campaign. And I think that that is really important because there has been a corruption of Wisconsin's good government tradition, which was, again, a bipartisan tradition um, that goes back to the Lafollette years, and it was a tradition that valued civic duty and kind of nonpartisan expertise. And you saw all these agencies like the DNR kind of corrupted by dark money. And, and I think that that, and the court was one of them. And in that case, you had David Prosser and Michael Gableman, who, of course, led this election integrity investigation. Um, you know, they refused to recuse themselves, even though they had received millions of dollars from the groups that were being investigated. So I think, you know, it was, it was really troubling. And the court was a model. It was a really um, a very important pillar of Wisconsin's, you know, tradition. It's very-
Dan Kaufman, excellent to have you, sir. Sorry, short on time. The Devil's Advocates, never personal, only politics. Back. Thank you for listening to the Devil's Advocates radio show. Phone lines open for your take, 844-967-2789. My takeaway, democracy is dead in the state of Wisconsin. Dan Kaufman, a fine guest, uh, find his latest work at the New Yorker, um, Concentration, a, a long read piece on the Wisconsin Supreme Court race. Dan put the time in. He was on the ground. And... Um, it is the most important spring election in my lifetime here in the great state of Wisconsin. And ultimately, usually people don't pay attention to these judicial races because what's it matter? You know, I'm not a lawyer. What they do, does it affect my life? In this case, it affects your life quite a bit. You need to vote. I would recommend for Janet Protasiewicz. I'd encourage you to vote no matter what. But if you're smart, you're voting to say what's because democracy matters. And certainly if you're a woman or you have women in your life you care for, you love them, they should have the right to control their own bodies. Leave your religion out of it. Even if you're a religious person, be religious with your body. <laughs> Leave your religion off someone else's. And I, I say that as a man who perceives himself to be a Christian. It's not my body. It's hers. And it's not their religion. It's yours. 844-967-2789. I got this on the socials asking about the referendums. Uh, Izzy, my, my, my baby girl Izzy, turned 18 this year, went to register today, went to vote today. Congratulations. Super proud of you. She says she voted for the good folks. So I take her at her word. Uh, But on the ballot, there's statewide referendums, and we have some people wondering how they should vote. You know, you know how they word these things sometimes. So um, I went to our pal, our guest from yesterday, Matt Rothschild. He's the executive director over at the Wisconsin Democracy Campaign. And here were Matt's thoughts on these referendums, and I share them. So I'm going to share this with you. Just give me a couple of minutes here. <clears throat> The first two amendments would amend the Wisconsin Constitution in such a way to keep more people behind bars, Matt's right, even before they've ever been convicted of a crime. One would allow judges to impose all sorts of restrictions on someone's freedom when they're released before trial. This could include even minor things like prohibiting the drinking of alcohol. And if the person gets caught drinking, that's a separate crime in and of itself. Uh, The second one, the second one, would give judges more latitude to impose cash bail, but cash bail penalizes the poor. Why should a rich person be able to get out when he or she poses the same risk as the poor person who can't get out? What's more, judges already have the power to detain people they deem as too dangerous to the community. So as Matt writes, this is unnecessary. Both of these amendments would take away from uh, take away more people's freedoms prior to conviction, which is an offense to our basic American principle that you're innocent until proven guilty. And given the racial disparities in our criminal justice system, the punitiveness behind these amendments is bound to fall disproportionately on people of color. We all want to be safe. We all want our loved ones to be safe, regardless of our race, background, and zip code. But overloading our jails won't make us safer. Investing in our communities will, and that's exactly what Robin Voss and his buddies don't 
want to do. So don't fall for these amendments, Matt writes. And finally, the third referendum is advisory only. And it's about having a work requirement for adults to get welfare but have no kids. This is already the law in Wisconsin, so this one is unnecessary too. And it's a ploy as well to further divide and distract us. So when you get your ballot and you see the referendum questions, vote no, no, no. It's that simple. Three no's. No, no, no. No, no, no. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt Rothschild. We call him Batman around here. Very important news. I actually heard former Governor Tommy Thompson on a vote to make people on welfare, childless adults work. And according to Tommy, there had been an exemption during the pandemic. You know, that's why it's necessary to ask the people of Wisconsin, should your lazy ass neighbors have to work for their living? You know, the, the, it down damn near sounded like a Cheech and Chong ad I heard on Brighton Whitey Talk Radio. <laughs> hey, dude, they got my fries wrong. Well, they've got to help one side. Why don't you apply? Oh, dude, I'm on the welfare. I sit home and I order Amazon and they deliver it. Sure you do. Yes, that is why, according to, you know, some third-party group that's just trying to turn out the gullible and right wing, of course, because they hate the lazy people. Should work hard like I work. It 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 becomes bothersome. Yeah, I just, you know, I, I really very important, very important, very important election next week, and I, and I can't wait for it to be over. You know, <laughs> you know more I mean? important than that referendum question. Um, <laughs> what World Burrito Eating Championship coming to the Deer District? Wait, World World World. Burrito Eating Championship. This is a brand new event for Milwaukee, great state of Wisconsin. The Beer Garden in the Deer District has played venue to a variety of events from watch parties to markets and soon the World Burrito Eating Championship. Never heard of it? Probably because it's being called the first ever. The event hosted by Qdoba is scheduled for April 6th to coincide (laughs) with National Burrito Day. I celebrate each year. Not Uh, Chipotle? You know, my kid works at Chipotle. I feel like I should support the kid's employer. (laughs) I like the fact that he's employed. Needs to borrow less money from the old man. You ever see the South Park with the Chipotle way episode? If not, Google it. It's pretty spectacular. Is it? We won't get into it. Go ahead. Finish. Tell us more about the World Burrito Championship Eating Contest. Fans are invited to witness 10 professional eaters. 10, 10, 10. Including Joy Chestnut. And they're going to compete to set a world record and consume as many Qdoba burritos as possible. A news release said Chestnut, who goes by Jaws, is a 15-time winner of the Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Eating Contest He's uh, ranked number one competitive eater by Major League Eating, MLE. <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. Can we bet on it? Then you know it's a real sport. Oh, we can bet on Well, not that we would ever <laughs> wager, Dom, but. Of course, of course. No, I'm, you know, when he you, when owns the 55 world records, Dom. I mean, they, what, they, they kind of dump them in some water and they just shove them down the throat. But, you know, burritos, are there going to be, is there going to be salsa? Is there going to be hot sauce on them? I mean, how are the burritos prepared? Well, that's an excellent question. I don't think they're going to put extra hot sauce on them if they're speed eating. You know, Joy Chestnut came to Wisconsin prior 
and participated in the State Fair's first cheese curd eating contest back in 2018. The winner of the World Burrito Eating Championship will receive a cash prize, the news release said. The event is scheduled for 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., and then the bathroom break will be from 1 to 3. (laughs) You know, I think we got to nominate Civic Media's own Fancy Brian Kelly. I think you can give Joey Chestnut a run for his money. I don't know, Crudy. I've seen you eat, man. You might be able to do the same. Uh, burrito's not my it's not my thing. No? I've been to Wando's, though. They got burritos as big as your head. But I wouldn't be able to eat multiple burritos. Now. You know, man's got to watch his girlish figure and all. <laughs> Good luck with that. Come back. More Devil's Advocates. The happier happy hour. World Burrito Day style. <laughs>